brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What's up, everybody? Matt Kajeski here, back again with the Osmo Fantasy Football YouTube channel. Continuing our division previews, today we will be breaking down the AFC East. Near and dear to my good friend Nick Lepre's heart, you can follow him on Twitter, at Notorious Fantasy. Nick, this is your division. What's up? Are you excited? I'm doing great, and I am very excited to talk about this division. While couple of years ago, this is probably the most boring division in football, right? With the Patriots just running the show and then everyone else kind of just lagging behind. And it was like miles behind. Everyone was so bad. And the Patriots were just running things. And now things are very different. This is a division that I think three different teams could win. And then there's the Jets. So it's going to be pretty fun <laughs> to talk about. We are going to start this off with the Jets. We'll go in ascending order of win total. So starting worst and go to first in terms of projected wins. We're going to talk everything from win totals, head coaching changes, roster moves, and then we will also touch on some underdog fantasy ADPs and how we feel about a few of these players. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know in this and all of our content, you want to know when it goes live, so make sure to do that. But Nick, we're going to start with the Jets. What do you say we get into this? All right, let's do it. All right, so the New York Jets, they made a lot of splashes this offseason, and they're going to be going into year two of the Robert Sala regime. The offensive coordinator is Mike LaFleur. He was the former 49ers pass game coordinator from 2017 to 2020. Jeff Albrick, he is the DC. He was hired in 2021 as well. He was the previous Falcons defensive coordinator in 2020. So we have a lot of continuity here. As expected, they're trying to build this from the ground up. And that starts with a ton of draft capital. So this team had an abundance of resources in the draft. They were able to bring in a ton of players. And we start at the top 
where they get Sauce Gardner, they run it back with Garrett Wilson, and then they actually trade up again. They're able to get Jermaine Johnson at the back end of the first. They follow that up with Brees Hall on day two, a little bit of a reach in my opinion, and then they take Jeremy Ruckert a little bit later. And we've seen some criticism of this draft strategy. A lot of people were applauding the Jets because they took all these good players, but then the criticism was this team had two first-round picks and they traded back up for another one, for three first-round picks. What, like, what was the expectation? They were going to get three good players unless they completely Las Vegas Raiders the draft, which they didn't do. But, but then <laughs> outside of that, the criticism of like the Brees Hall and Jeremy Ruckert picks were you're essentially taking luxury picks at the top of the draft when you still have needs at every single position, not to mention you spent a decent draft pick on Michael Carter the year before. So this team did take an interesting approach to rebuilding. They also brought in some solid free agents. You know, this is another reason why the tight end draft and Jeremy Rucker was a little more confusing. They signed CJ Uzoma and Tyler Conklin. So now they have three tight ends there. I don't know what they're going to do with that. They bring in Lakin Tomlinson. He has familiarity with the Robert Sala regime from San Francisco. And on defense, a couple other 49ers, former 49ers come over. You have Solomon Thomas. And, you know, like no real premier signings, but solid role players, which I think you would like to see for a rebuilding Jets team. But talk to me about this team as a whole and some of the free agents and NFL draft picks they brought in. Yeah, so the Jets are a pretty interesting team. Last year, they looked like a disaster to start the season. I don't know <laughs> if you remember. Things were getting really bad. Mono Man, Sam Darnold, defeated them in week number one. And then it looked like, wow, he got his revenge. Sam Darnold's going up. His stock is rising to the moon. The Jets is going down. And then Sam Darnold started playing bad. And then the Jets started getting a little bit better. So, you know, all things leveled out there. The Jets were a very interesting team to follow last year, and the Jets had a bunch of injuries last season that definitely had a big impact on their team. Looking at the depth chart that they have right now, they have an offensive line that may not be one of the best in the league, but is still pretty solid. Their starters are George Fant, Lakin Tomlinson, Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Makai Becton. That is a pretty solid offensive line. Will that be able to stop the Dolphins, the Bills, these other teams they have to play? Maybe, maybe not. But they do have a very solid offensive line. And realistically, on paper, if Elijah Moore, if Garrett Wilson end up panning out, they actually have a pretty solid one-two punch at the wide receiver position as well with some depth pieces like Corey Davis. They also have Braxton Berrios, who had a pretty solid season last year. I don't think Braxton Berrios is necessarily the second coming of Julian Edelman or something, but he is pretty solid and is a good special teams player as well. And then they draft Brees Hall. They have Michael Carter. And the biggest question here for the Jets going forward and this year is what is Zach Wilson? And I'm not too sure that Zach Wilson has a very long leash for the Jets. I'm not sure that if Zach Wilson, if he has a bad year this year, are they going to cut ties with him next year, the year after? Honestly, I think so. I think Zach Wilson won't have the longest of leash despite being such a high draft pick last season. This team on paper is very interesting. Now, I don't think they're going to win over the win total of games, but I think they have built something very good for the future. What do you think about the Jets team as a whole? I definitely think they're improved, like you said. When you look at what Zach Wilson was throwing to last year, it's really hard to, to deny that. I mean, especially towards the end of the year when Elijah Moore was hurt, Corey Davis was hurt. Like Some of the names you're going to hear on this list are absolutely baffling, like Jeff Smith, DJ Montgomery. Those were some of the receivers that started games for the Jets last year. So now the fact that they have Elijah Moore, they invest in Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis, I think he's a solid role player. And if you were ranking wide receiver threes in the NFL, he'd be 
among the better options. And they're doing exactly what they should, which is seeing what they have in Wilson surrounding him with playmakers to hopefully access that ceiling. And then if the ceiling isn't accessed, he's not what they thought he was. They're just going to go back to the draft and try to hit on another quarterback. And it should be a decent class upcoming. I like what you said about the offensive line. You have a lot of resources invested in this. Makai Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker are two former first round picks. Lakin Tomlinson, he kind of rebuilded his career after sort of, I don't, I don't want to call him a bust, but he wasn't what Detroit thought he was, but San Francisco was able to really rebuild his career. So he's solid as well. To me, it comes down to can Makai Becton stay healthy? There have been rumors of like a fractured relationship with the Jets regime. So we'll see on that. But even on defense, I think they got a lot better. The strength was their defensive line. They had Quinn and Williams, former top five draft pick, Sheldon Rankins up there, Carl Lawson. And I love that they added Jermaine Johnson as an edge rusher there, which maybe was the weakest part of that defensive line. And really, the back end was the toughest spot to evaluate. They really, really struggled in the secondary last year, and they desperately needed help. Adding Sauce Gardner, who looks like a day one ready corner, is huge for this team. He's a player that could potentially erase number ones. He didn't even allow a touchdown in his career with Cincinnati in college. Not to mention you have Ashton Davis still there as safety. Jordan Whitehead's fine. And they spent a pretty decent pick on Bryce Hall a couple of years ago at corner. So looking better, I think still a ways to go. But overall, I think the Jets team is a little bit better. And when you talk about schedule here, when we look at what this AFC East has to face as a whole, they get the AFC North in the crossover. So that's not great. You're facing Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Baltimore. You get the NFC North. That's pretty favorable. Detroit and Chicago. But then you're one-offs against the AFC West, NFC West, and AFC South. For the Jets, they're getting the Broncos, Seahawks, and Jaguars. Don't love the Broncos there. Not to mention this is a tougher division. So if, it, if it's me betting this, it's probably the under. But honestly, I think it's a stay away. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would definitely lean with the under. I think the best way to make money in, in sports betting is betting the Jets under. It always hits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like under five and a half wins. I think they can get to five games. I think they could get to six games. So maybe if you're trying to just take whatever we think to or what we believe to be the safest of picks, then maybe you don't go under here. But in my opinion, I think they're going to win four or five games. And I think that in a couple of years, this Jets team, if Robert Sala's legit, if Zach Wilson's legit, these guys they draft end up working, then maybe they're a team that's in the playoffs a couple of years from now. But we are a couple of years from that. And I think they're going to go under five and a half. And I think that's actually best for the Jets organization to just get us another solid pick. Yeah, this is juice towards the over. So a lot of the market isn't necessarily agreeing with this. If you could get it to move to six, that'd be fantastic. So I would wait on that if possible. For fantasy purposes, this is going to be a really interesting team. And it's similar to their counterpart in New York, the Giants, where you have a team which which is bad. But now there's an influx of talent coming in. I like Mike LaFleur as a play caller. This Jets team was you know, surprisingly efficient at times. Like People were playing guys like Braxton Berrios in, in DFS because of some available <laughs> opportunity. Now you just have better players in those roles. Elijah Moore coming back from injury. He's coming off the board at pick 68 and a half. This is underdog ADP. Garrett Wilson's at 98. I, I love that ADP for a player that was drafted inside the top 12. Corey Davis at pick 158 if you want to just reach really late. And the player I want to get your opinion on right now is Brees Hall, 46.2. The draft capital suggests that he should be a bell cow back, but I still am a little weary with Michael Carter in the receiving game. Michael Carter was fantastic as a receiver out of the backfield. A lot of that coming with Mike White, but still he showed the chops yeah. to be able to do it. What do you make of Brees Hall and some of the other skill position players in this offense? 
Yeah, I think the Jets are interesting because they have two players named Michael Carter, one on offense and one on defense, <laughs> which I don't think any team has. But in reality, my actual assessment of this is that I think that Brees Hall is a very talented player. But I worry that just like you said, that if Michael Carter keeps playing, which I think he will, that Michael Carter is going to be taking away a decent amount of receiving opportunity from Brees Hall. Brees Hall could be a guy that maybe a couple years from now gets 65, 70 receptions or at least in the target range of that. But I feel like this year he's going to be around the 20 reception range, the 30 reception range. And I just don't feel like at pick 46.2 on underdog that that is really where I want to be drafting that guy who's not going to be catching a lot of passes on a team that I think is going to be down in a lot of games. There is running backs that can be good on bad teams. We've seen it a million times. James Robinson is the example that we use a ton. But James Robinson was catching passes when the team was down. And I don't necessarily think that Brees Hall is going to be this target monster like we could see a guy like James Robinson be, or like if Michael Carter was the number one back on the team, they don't draft Brees Hall, then maybe Michael Carter could have a crazy season even on a down Jets team because he would be seeing all of the receiving work. With Brees Hall and Michael Carter there, I'm fine drafting Brees Hall. I think I'll get a couple of shares of him on underdog, but I'm not just in my redraft league running up to the podium and smacking the button or smacking Brees Hall onto the board because in reality, I just feel like his upside is severely limited by Michael Carter. And I would personally be shocked if he finished inside the top 12. I think he'll be a safe running back to finish around like running back 20. Nothing to write home about, but not a bad player. But where he's getting drafted, I think it's definitely a little too high. Yeah, I agree with you. It's pretty rare that we see even first round backs come in and just immediately take all the opportunity. The Najee Harris's of the world are sort of an anomaly. We go back to some players like Melvin Gordon. He was a first round draft pick. He didn't see the work right away. Even Christian McCaffrey split time with Jonathan Stewart. Jonathan Stewart outcarried <laughs> Christian McCaffrey 198 to 117 in his rookie year. We saw it just last year with Javante Williams running laps around Melvin Gordon. A lot of times, even Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines, some of the best backs in the league, take some time, especially when they're rookies. So this is an ADP I want to be underweight on for now. I think you can get players a little bit later that I'm a lot more interested in. Talk to me about the receivers because right now the market views Elijah Moore as the clear number one with an ADP of 68.5. Garrett Wilson is the clear two at 98 and Corey Davis as the clear three at 158. In my opinion, Garrett Wilson is the more attractive option just based on raw ADP. But Elijah Moore essentially checked every single box in a very small sample size last year with the Jets. What do you make of the situation? Yeah, I've seen a lot of positivity coming towards Garrett Wilson out of camp early. Now, again, how much do you want to buy into camp news from May? Not too much, right? Who really cares in reality? But in, that is something that is pretty positive for me. I definitely was someone who was pretty out on Elijah Moore earlier on in the offseason. But now I feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that they have Garrett Wilson there. And I feel a little bit more comfortable as a whole with this Jets offense. Obviously, they haven't played a game in months. Just my opinion on them has changed. And I think that the Jets may be at least offensively slightly better than I previously believed. And I think that Garrett Wilson is the pick there. Like you said, I picked 98.0. Corey Davis is going at 158.4. Unless I'm doing a Jets stack on underdog, I will probably never draft Corey Davis because I don't see any potential that Corey Davis eclipses either Garrett Wilson or Elijah Moore. Maybe technically he sees more work early on in the season than Garrett Wilson because he's a rookie. But eventually, at some point in the season, Garrett Wilson's going to easily surpass him. So I would kind of stay away from Corey Davis and look in that range for guys that I think may actually become the number two receiver. Or maybe there's an outside shot they become the number one guy on the team. 
I just don't really see that for Corey Davis with how this team is lined up right now. Elijah Moore, where he is going, I don't love him compared to the other players, but I will end up drafting him because, again, you want to make sure that you're not just drafting the same players to every single draft because if that ends up missing, you're screwed. And I think Elijah Moore is immensely talented. He had the draft capital, so he's and he did show some bit of connection with Zach Wilson last year. And Elijah Moore and Zach Wilson showed up to my high school a month ago, so shout out to them, even though I don't like <laughs> Last thing I want to say about this Jets team is Zach Wilson, ADP of 161.4. I have a tier of quarterbacks where essentially they're late round picks, last round picks, sort of. And in best ball, I have a preference towards a few of these guys, and Zach Wilson falls into this tier. It's quarterbacks that are mobile, that have a longer leash, that just haven't shown it yet. So a couple guys in this tier, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson. I think even like a Carson Wentz might fit in this. He's not as mobile as those guys, but he does have some job security. And I like these players because you can take like, you know, for Daniel Jones, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, And for Zach Wilson, you can get either Elijah Moore or Garrett Wilson. And then you can just tack on the quarterback in round 16, 17, 18 sometimes. And you finish your stack extremely late. So I'm not extremely bullish on Zach Wilson as a prospect. But when you look at the best ball ADP, I love the stack you can get here with him, especially because he does have good mobility. So I'll be taking flyers on him late and be overweight to the field. Anything different for you there? I already have multiple teams that I've drafted with literally all three. I have Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, and Corey Davis. I Again, you don't need to stack all three together. It's just that they kind of just go so spread out in the draft that it's kind of easy from any position you're drafting in to just pick all three of them. So, and then Zach Wilson, obviously, basically free towards the end of the draft. I have noticed more recently, though, people are getting a little bit more confident in drafting these late round quarterbacks in less late rounds, right? Instead of round 17, 18, they're creeping up a little bit more, but they are still guys that are basically free in your draft. And I think that Zach Wilson, if he hits, if he plays like he did at BYU, then man, oh man, you're going to be very excited. But in a redraft league, I'm in a one quarterback league. I'm not really getting close to Zach Wilson. All right, let's talk New England Patriots. They are projected for eight and a half wins. That is third in this division. They do have some changes on the coaching staff. We have Bill Belichick, of course, as the head coach, but they no longer have an OC. We saw their former OC move over, now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. They haven't had a defensive coordinator since Matt Patricia, so, I mean, that isn't new, but still vacant. Bill Belichick is taking an interesting approach with his coaching staff, so we'll see what that ends up being. But overall, the Patriots, they're a relatively similar team to last year. You know, Mac Jones was the big change they made then. And they're trying to surround him with more weapons. Last year, it was the tight end heavy approach. They signed both Hunter Henry and John New Smith. I think that was a mixed bag in terms of results. This year, they trade for Devontae Parker, former Miami Dolphin. He joins a receiving core that now is Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers as the projected starters. They took a really interesting approach in the NFL draft taking Tyquan Thornton, an absolute burner out of Baylor, really high, way higher than expected. Tyquan Thornton was below average in terms of yards per route run and targets per route in college, not the NFL average, below the college average. So they're very much banking on the development of his speed, and I view him as a one-for-one replacement for Nelson Aguilar, but we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition. Where this team really succeeds is defense, and they've been able to keep a lot of their defensive players intact. They they now have Matt Judon. They have Lawrence Guy, Devon Godchalk, Dietrich Wise in the defensive line. Their secondary is fairly strong. They did lose a couple players there. J.C. Jackson's the main guy I want to mention. 
His loss is going to be key for this team. Can they find a replacement for an all-pro corner? A guy that was really able to erase opposing wide receiver ones. They bring in a couple guys to try to replace him. You know, Malcolm Butler's back with the team. They draft Marcus Jones, who is a very versatile corner out of Houston. But even with that said, I'm just not sure they were proactive enough replacing some of the players that previously were premier options for this team. So I think they're sort of in a soft rebuild. They're a tough evaluation. And you always want to kind of bank on Bill Belichick. But, you know, eight and a half wins, I think I'm going under with this. Talk to me about the roster here. Yeah, I believe with you in the under, but I mean, it's very hard to bet against, like you said, Bill Belichick. I would stay away from that, right? They might win 12 games. wouldn't surprise me. They don't really have the team to win 12 games, but they do have Bill Belichick. They have one of my favorite defensive players in Kyler Duggar. I barely knew her. Kyle Duggar, that's his name. Very funny <laughs> small joke. School, no. Small school phenom. Love Kyle Duggar. Yeah, and they also have my boy Jabril Peppers on defense as well. So they have a defense that I like a lot. Like you said, there was definitely some... Some huge misses there. Now they have Jalen Mills starting at corner. I'm just not a Jalen Mills guy, personally. I don't know about you. I mean, the downgrade from J.C. Jackson to Jalen Mills is exponential. Yes, it is very bad. Matthew Judon is a player that I do really like, though, on their defense. But as a whole, their offense is basically like, if you Googled, like, the most, like, mid-offense ever, that's what would show up, right? You got, like, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry is somehow still on the team. I think he's going to get cut probably. Yeah, that, that's the thing and why they're a little bit, you know, tough to trust is they've missed on players. And Nikhil Harry is the prime example of that. Yeah, Kendrick Bourne. And they still have Devin Asiasi on the team, Dalton Keene. Remember when they just drafted a bunch of tight ends and realized that didn't work? So then they just <laughs> paid a million dollars for all these other guys? It's that's like they've cool. been chasing the Aaron Hernandez Gronk years for the last couple. And even the Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith signings reflect that. And it just hasn't gotten there. And, you know, I didn't even mention their first round pick, Cole Strange. They're trying to replace some offensive linemen they lost. You know, like Ted Karras is gone. Shaq Mason was traded. I don't know. Cole Strange is the answer here. He's a small school guy coming out of Chattanooga. I don't know. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead and continue. Uh, that's not even an interruption. That was a very weird pick. That was a strange pick, you might even add, in the first round. Where <laughs> did, you, did you see the video of Sean McVay, like, laughing? He's like, yes, that was, that was Chattanooga. That. Yeah, Sean McVay, the guy with no first-round capital for the next eight years laughing at a first-round pick. Hey, they won the Super Bowl, though. Can't come, can't say anything bad about them. Yeah. So it's also very weird to see a team that is projected to have eight-and-a-half wins have one player in fantasy football, based on ADP right now, an underdog, being drafted inside the top 100, and that is their running back, Damian Harris. And they also have Ramondre Stevenson. They have Pierce Strong. They have James White. This is one of the most confusing backfields in the NFL, in my opinion, I think Damian Harris is the most talented, but I think based upon what Bill Belichick has shown us in the past, do they really want to commit to just one running back? Or is this going to be one of those seasons where you're just like, oh, maybe I'll start Damian Harris, and you start Damian Harris, and then Stevenson does good, or James White maybe becomes healthy, and he's just catching all these balls, and it like just derails this running back core. What do you think about the running back core? That's my biggest question with this team. It's a disaster, dude, especially... We can touch on fantasy football here for the running backs. You already kind of did so a little bit, but you're looking at a three-back committee, I think, at best. Damian Harris at 93.4. I think that's too much for a guy who's splitting first down work with Ramondre Stevenson coming off the board at 122.7. A little more palatable, but even there, like if Ramondre is going to hit his ceiling and have a three-down workload, he's going to require like three injuries. And that's because they have used a pass-catching back 
regardless of James White's health. And last year, James White, he got injured. He injured that hip. And we'll talk about him in a second, but he might not even be ready for the start of the year. They use Brandon Bolden as the pass catching back. Like if Brandon Bolden is going to play on pass downs over Ramondre and Damian Harris, I don't think there's any way those two are working into pass catching sets this year. They draft Pierre Strong pretty high too. And that was a curious pick in my opinion. Like not really high, but I mean, they spent decent draft capital on him. A small school guy, an FCS guy. What is his role? Is is This team sometimes carries four active backs, but one of them is going to have to play special teams if that occurs. They also took Kevin Harris late. So, I mean, it looks like based on the moves this team has made this offseason, they're going all in on the run. They're going to try to win with their defense, and they're surrounding Mac Jones with enough talent. So in pass-first situations, they actually have some capable bodies, you know, like not Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers, and, and Kendrick Bourne. So, I mean, all around, it's curious, curious decision-making. I think I'm fully out on the run game. I'd rather take receivers for this team if I'm taking anybody at all. Does that yes. does that make sense? Are you in agreement? Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with that. It's very funny that like the Jets, we just talked about how they are one of those teams that we don't know what to do with Brees Hall, Michael Carter, but every team in the AFC East, I feel like the Jets have the most easily able to project the backfield what's going to happen, right? Because you got the Patriots with all these running backs, True. the Bills, and then the Dolphins have just like seven guys. So it's like very confusing to try to figure out. But at the end of the day, I do agree with you. I like Mac Jones a decent amount in underdog drafts in a redraft league though his upside is so limited by the fact that he just cannot run the ball any quarterback in my book that is a statue in the pocket that i don't see throwing 4,000 4,500 yards there's no real reason to draft them in my book unless you're reaching real back you're drafting a guy like matt ryan who i think just the team itself could maybe carry him to do that mac jones here with Devonte parker kendrick Bourne, jacoby myers like Again, I like Devontae Parker. He's my favorite receiver to draft out all these guys. He was a guy that I honestly didn't like in Miami, but last year he kind of kind of looked pretty solid to me. So I think in 2022, if I'm going to draft anyone from this team, it's probably going to end up being Hunter Henry or Devontae Parker. I like those two. I would I would go with Parker and Henry as well. I know you're pretty bullish on Hunter Henry. Based lar- Correct me if I'm wrong. Based largely on the latter half of the season when they sort of phased out Jonu Smith early on. Johnny and Henry were splitting 50-50, but then Hunter Henry, just the efficiency yeah. he put on the field was, he was outpacing Johnny Smith. And luckily, the Patriots realized that and then committed to Henry. So I, that's why you like him a little more, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, and because like in the red zone, he is just such a threat. They just throw him the ball every single time. Like besides now, I guess, Devontae Parker, like who else are you really concerned about being the big body guy that's going to be scoring the touchdown? If they're on like the four or five yard line, in my book, I think the ball is going to Hunter Henry. And he was super successful. I understand touchdowns could regress. If he only scores like six touchdowns this year, then this is going to be a swing and a miss, right? My take on him is a huge swing and a miss. But if he gets nine, 10, maybe 12 touchdowns, then you're going to be very happy with drafting Hunter Henry at pick 152. I'd also take Jacoby Myers. You speak of touchdown regression. He's a guy that should have some touchdowns. He's almost allergic (laughs) to the end zone. But that's... That doesn't do the, the story justice because he is targeted in the red zone. And for whatever reason or another... It just hasn't worked out. But Jacoby Myers, he should be scoring more touchdowns. He's going to play in the slot. His yards per route run is super efficient. So I'm fine with him as well if you prefer him to Parker. Mac Jones, just a little lukewarm on. I'll be taking him when I end up with one of these receivers just to finish out stacks. But overall, win total, eight and a half. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, 
you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, this is a tough division to evaluate because I think at the bottom end, you have some easier schedules, basically just the Jets. Then once you get to the first and second place schedules, the Patriots are playing a second place schedule. It gets pretty tough. Again, the AFC North and NFC North and crossovers. Then you get the Raiders, Cardinals, and Colts for the Patriots. So you're even getting the tough part of those divisions. Those games are no cakewalks for the Patriots. So eight and a half wins. I'm going to go under this. Anything left to add for you? Yeah, I just wanted to point out Jacoby Myers, like you said, how he was allergic to the end zone. I remember him scoring against the Jaguars in like the second of last week. And just going crazy when I saw that go in red zone because I was like, holy shit, he finally scored. Played him on DFS for like seven weeks in a row. Like, oh, he's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to score. Doesn't score. That was amazing. That was something beautiful to see. That was like when the Chiefs finally threw a touchdown to a receiver. Do you remember that season? That was Alex Smith, correct? Yeah, that was with Alex Smith. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. All right. right, Okay, you can go. I was just going to close out by saying over eight and a half would be my lean, but I probably would stay away. Going with the Bill Belichick magic. Wouldn't be surprised myself. Didn't think they were going to get there, and they did. But before we move on, let's talk about Underdog Fantasy. We've been referencing them the entire show. They are the best place to play fantasy football in the summer months. They just unleashed Best Ball Mania 3, which has a $10 million prize pool and a million dollars to first place. All you have to do is draft your team. That's literally it. There's no in-season management. There's no waivers. There's no trades. Underdog's just going to give you your best score every single week, and the highest score at the end of the year wins. It is that easy. Better yet, last year's Best Ball Mania Championship team was drafted in June, so there is no reason to wait. Underdog's also going to double your forced deposit up to $100 when you use the promo code OSMO. That's good for four entries into the Best Ball Mania tournament. All you have to do is head to underdog.com or to the App Store or even just click the link in the description of this video Use the promo code OSMO, and you can take advantage of all of those offers. All right, we're going to the top of this division here. It is your very own Miami Dolphins. They have a win total at 9.0, just a half a win ahead of the New England Patriots. Plenty of changes. They moved to Mike McDaniel as their head coach, the former 49ers OC, 49ers run game coordinator, social media star Mike McDaniel. They bring in Frank Smith as the OC former Chargers run game coordinator in 2021, also coached tight ends for the Raiders between 2018-2020. and 2020. 
they leave Josh Boyer in as their defensive coordinator. I think that makes a lot of sense. They've had a lot of success on defense over the last couple of years. So retaining him, I think, is big. But overall, we need to talk roster changes for this team. And there are plenty to discuss. I think first and foremost, it's the addition of Tyreek Hill. The big free agency splash. They bring him in, excuse me, they bring him over in a trade and then sign him to the big deal. So more of a trade than free agent acquisition. But they also bring in Cedric Wilson, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sony Michelle. It's like a completely different cast of characters among the skill position players. So talk to me a little bit about this team, Mike McDaniel, and the offensive changes. Yeah, the offensive line also got so much better. Bringing in Teron Armstead, bringing in Connor Williams. This is an offensive line last year that was basically a turnstile. It was a revolving door. It was brutal. It was like Tua literally stood zero chance. Like the ball would be snapped in that game up against Tennessee. I don't know if you guys watched that game when it was raining at the end of the year. Like the ball would be snapped and the two was on the ground four seconds later. Like I'm surprised he even made it out of the game without getting hurt. It was very bad and it was hard to watch as a Dolphins fan. Now with the offensive line they have now, I'm not saying it's top five unit in the NFL, but with Armstead, Williams, Michael Dieter, Robert Hunt, Liam Eichenberg, maybe just maybe this is now going to be an offensive line. They also have Austin Jackson that could potentially actually just stop something. For a couple of seconds, let Tua have some time. And this is truly the year where we see if Tua's the guy or not. If Tua sucks this year, his ass is grass. He's gone. He's done for because they have put everything in place. The defense is great. The offensive line is pretty solid. The receivers are amazing. The running backs, sure, they have 50 of them, but they're also <laughs> good, right? You just throw one of them in there. Tua can throw him the ball. He can hand him the ball. Okay, this is a great team. If Tua does not take this team to the playoffs, I believe Tua is done next year. We have a couple of first-round draft picks. Tua is going to be gone. So this offense that they brought in is amazing. They still have an excellent defense as well. Guys of note, they obviously have Byron Jones, Javon uh, Holland. They have Xavier Howard. They have Jerome Baker, Emmanuel Ogba, Christian Wilkins, and Raekwon Davis. They have a couple other players as well, but those are just my favorite ones on defense. And I think that this team in 2022 is set up for success. We're talking about the over. I've already bet the over. It was set at nine. I bet that I would bet it at nine and a half. Wouldn't bet it at 10 though, but I think they are going to make the playoffs. And if they don't win 10 games this year, then I think that that's a huge indictment on Tua. And I think Mike McDaniel is the correct answer for this team. I think that Mike McDaniel will be a lot better for Tua than Brian Flores was. There's a lot of reports that Brian Flores like hated Tua, that that one game before up against Baltimore, or no, it was up against Houston, Tua went golfing before the game because while he was healthy, he could play. Brian Flores didn't let him play, so he went to play golf. Like, hey, look, my hand's fine. He's playing golf. And then people are like now making fun of the fact that he's playing golf before the a game. Don't do that. You're starting quarterback. Who gives a fuck, right? He was healthy. They didn't let him play. Brian Flores is a bum. Mike McDaniels is the answer, in my opinion. I actually think Brian Flores was a good coach. But I think Mike McDaniels is going to help the offensive out a ton. And with an offensive-minded coach with these additions like Chase Edmonds, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. I really like it. And I think people are just backpedaling heavily on Tyreek Hill right now in fantasy because of moving to the Dolphins. I don't think that that should have occurred, right? He's going to pick 21.6. If he was on the Chiefs, he'd probably be pick 11, maybe 10, 12 in that range. He definitely would be a first round pick. And now he's falling. I think if I think as long as the Dolphins are able to play how I think they will, as long as Tua is able to elevate himself, I think Tyreek Hill is not a sleeper, 
but is a humongous value of pick 21.6. I think Jalen Waddle is also a solid value pick at 35.3. What do you think? A lot to uncover there. You basically touched on the whole team, so I'll try to bring this piece by piece. I love the additions to the offensive line. Armstead and Williams, fantastic. And then they have a ton of resources invested in their young players. So you really just hope like one of Austin Jackson, Robert Jones, Liam Eikenberg, and Robert Hunt could play even at an average level. And with the capital spent in some of them, you almost expect it. On defense, you have a really strong unit. You bring in Melvin Ingram from free agency combined with Jalen Phillips, formal really high draft pick for this team coming out of Miami as an edge rusher. So I think the defensive line got a little bit better. You already mentioned Agba. Their secondary is fantastic as long as they don't deal with injuries between Byron Jones and, and Howard. Then you look at the skill position players. They made some interesting moves, and I think this kind of goes in line with Mike McDaniel's history as the 49ers OC. They also brought in Alec Ingold as a fullback. So one thing I want to touch on here is the player personnel and offense. You're not going to see as much 11 personnel with this team. Just with the offense, Miami is going to run, and it's based on the former San Francisco 49ers offense. And I don't think they're going to be like in 12 personnel or have a fullback on the field the majority of the time. But when they do bring Alec Ingold out there, when they use Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen, that's going to limit snaps for somebody. Now, I don't think it's Waddle. I don't think it's Hill. But I do think it is Mike Jasicki and Cedric mm -hmm. Wilson. I don't think these players have the same upside in terms of snap share that we saw in their previous offensive regimes, especially a guy like Jasicki who doesn't line up in line. He plays exclusively split out wide or in the slot. And I personally, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's Tyreek or Jalen Waddle coming off the field when they're using Ingold and Smythe and Shaheen. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I think that a lot of last year, if you had Gasicki, you were frustrated because even the announcers didn't know who Durham Smythe was because Smythe would score a touchdown and would say, touchdown, Mike Gasicki on the screen. It's like, no, that's not Mike Gasicki. I know Mike Gasicki and Smythe are good friends. Uh, Mike Gasicki helped like negotiate the contract for Smythe to sign back with the Dolphins. But I mean, like that's concerning for Gasicki. Gasicki doesn't block at all. He is a huge swing and a miss, in my opinion, in redraft. Now, in best ball, I'm fine drafting him because I know he's going to have those boom games. I know that I can get to a later on in drafts with Gasicki, and you can stack them up together. But in terms of a redraft league, I think people are way too high on Gasicki. They're buying too much into the offense, whereas I would rather just draft the running backs and the receivers there. I think that the running back core is going to be a huge discussion as well. My favorite pick out of the running back core for best ball right now would be Mr. Sony Michelle, because I think he's going to barrel his way into the end zone a bunch of times. But if we're talking about redraft, I think that Raheem Mostert is coming at a humongous discount. And we saw what Raheem Mostert can do when healthy. Is he ever going to stay healthy? Who knows? But I'm not a doctor. So I think if Raheem Mostert could stay healthy, this guy, the speed that he has is unreal. This is a very fast offense. Yeah, I actually disagree a little bit at running back. I'd rather have Chase Edmonds. He's coming off the board to pick 110. We've seen him handle a three-down workload, and he's the only player on this offense, running back-wise, that could catch passes. Raheem Mostert has never done it in his career. He's over the age 30, which is like a significant red flag for running backs. And could he handle a change of pace for all? Sure. We see guys like Frank Gore do it past their age 30, Adrian Peterson. Usually that comes with reduced efficiency. With Sonny Michelle, just like the undisclosed contracts, like he might get cut. I, I don't know what they're paying him, but – Man, that, that is like a huge red flag as well. Like agents typically broadcast incorrectly the contract <laughs> numbers for their their players. You know, like they, they'll be like 85 million for, you know, Sony Michelle. And then you find out like 25 million of it's guaranteed. 
after two years, they can be cut like no holds barred. So agents aren't always the most forthright, but for them not to disclose that, I think that's a huge red flag. I think you should monitor Sony throughout training camp. And then for me, I'm just trying to get Tyreek Hill and Waddle and probably avoiding the rest of the pass catchers because of the presence of Ingold and multiple tight ends. And two, I mean, he's coming at a premium right now. Like pick 133, a guy that doesn't have any mobility whatsoever. Like he's below even the Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert level mobility. I'm probably just waiting and like getting Daniel Jones or Zach Wilson later, like significantly later, like 60 picks later, rather than take a guy in an offense that could be a little run heavy, run heavier than we expect if it kind of mirrors San Francisco in a, a player that hasn't shown it yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm out on Tua right now for DF or excuse me for, for best ball, but anything else to add? Yeah. I, I just think that when you have two receivers being drafted in the top 40, I think they're almost discrediting Tua a little bit, right? Because if you think Hill and Waddle are going to be good, then doesn't Tua have to be good. I mean, he can, he can be good and then still be outscored by people with mobility. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So I, I pick 132. It's not that I don't like to. And again, like this is a popular singer on the industry. It's like, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. Like pick 133 for Tua is a little bit rich, especially when you can get players with similar skill sets and two receivers with maybe the same upside going later. Think like Russell Wilson in Denver. They have two receivers yeah. that aren't going as high as Waddle and Tua because they're not as proven. But you just have a better signal caller in Russell Wilson going you know, a little bit ahead of Tua. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the receivers, but he has the same sort of skill set going a little earlier than Tua. So it's either for me in this dead zone, I'd rather just reach on a different player than Tua. Gotcha. And I agree. I would definitely, I'm this season, unlike most seasons, I'm really just looking to take one of those top 12 guys that I feel confident in rather than waiting because this year I feel as though while there's a lot of guys, maybe there's like 15, 16 guys I can see finishing inside the top 12. After you get outside of that, it looks real weird. Like then you're drafting Daniel Jones. You're hoping for the upside and all. So I'd rather just draft a quarterback that's inside the top 12. Like I'm targeting guys like Jalen Hurts very highly. Same. And and last thing to add here, you were bullish on the win total nine and a half. It's a stay away from me. This team got the shaft in terms of schedule. Like they're playing a yeah. third place <laughs> schedule, but my goodness, it's harder than the Patriots that have the second place schedule. In their one-off teams, they get the third place finishing Chargers. That is brutal. The third place finishing 49ers brutal luckily they get the texans to round that out the dolphins are also fourth most travel in the entire nfl that is brutal they're going to be going across the country multiple times to play teams like the chargers so they're going to be traveling multiple time zones getting really tough opponents in their crossovers man I'd stay away from me but i can understand why you'd be optimistic anything else yeah, to add i would agree that the schedule especially to start the season is very oh. difficult right new england then baltimore buffalo Cincinnati, and then it gets a little soft, right? They get the Jets, the Vikings, the Steelers, Detroit, Chicago. But if things go wrong early on, the morale of the team could completely shift and uh, things could not look great. But I think if they win at least two of those games, then they'll be just fine to go over nine wins. I understand why you're not super excited. I bet the Dolphins over win total every year ever since I turned 21 two years <laughs> ago. So <laughs> that's just because I like the team. But I think that yeah. they should be able to get to 10 wins. For those of you that didn't know, Nick... He's a Dolphins fan. But let's go to the final team in this division. It's the Buffalo Bills. Projected 11 and a half wins. They are the reigning champs of this division. Sean McDermott, he is the head coach. Still, they bring in Ken Dorsey to replace Brian Dable. Not a ton of ton, ton of change there. Ken Dorsey is an in-house replacement. He was the Bills pass game coordinator last year. And he's coached quarterbacks for the last three seasons. 
Leslie Frazier remains DC. He was brought in alongside McDermott in that 2017 season. Roster change. We don't have too many changes here. I think the big names come at receiver. You lose Emmanuel Sanders. You lose Cole Beasley. And they sort of bring in like like similar replacements, I would say. Like Jamison Crowder sort of fits the same skill set as Cole Beasley. The big addition, I think, is going to be James Cook and O.J. Howard for offensive skill position players. Offensive line is similar. Roger Saffold's re-signed. David Kessenberry comes over. But overall, Mitch Morse was re-signed as well. So pretty similar offensive line unit. Defense got a lot better with the addition of Von Miller. He's going to bring a ton of juice to this edge rushing group, which was kind of just held down by Gregory Rousseau. And, you know, AJ Epinesa was an early day two pick. They have a lot invested in this unit, including Ed Oliver. They, they like to invest in defensive line. I don't think they've gotten the ceiling they've wanted out of the position, which makes the Von Miller signing even better. You do have Tredavious White coming off a torn ACL, which is a bit of a question here. But they drafted Kyer Elam, a corner out of Florida, to, to kind of bridge the gap until you get a fully healthy Tredavious White. Teron Johnson's also been fantastic in the nickel position. Safety, also great. Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, those are two fantastic players there. So I like the defense, not to mention we didn't even talk about Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano at linebacker. Very complete unit overall, in my opinion. What do you make of the Buffalo changes this offseason? Because I view them as a team taking a step forward. Yeah, the Buffalo Bills definitely did take a huge leap forward and how much, I guess technically not a huge leap because it's hard to get higher than where the Buffalo Bills were, right? The Buffalo Bills were last season a Super Bowl contender, a team that I thought should have beaten the Chiefs in that game, but it is what it is. The rules are the rules. They changed the rules now. The rules still suck though. The rule, <laughs> They didn't even go all in on changing it correctly, but it is what it is. I think that the Buffalo Bills are going to win this division easily think they're going to win like 13 games I, while I want the Dolphins to win the division I don't think that they will I think the Bills will I think that offensively this is one of the best offense in the NFL sure they lose Emmanuel Sanders sure they lose Cole Beasley but who gives a shit right Jameson Crowder is probably better than Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders combined and they still have Isaiah McKenzie they have Gabe Davis they have all of these players now if we're talking about fantasy football which I'll talk about just for a couple seconds now go back into the team as a whole I think Gabe Davis is probably the most confusing player to assess ever because I think he's really good. He's on a really good team. He's the number two receiver, but he's going at pick 54 right now on underdog, which seems like unless you draft Josh Allen, there's really no reason to be drafting Gabe Davis at that ADP. In my opinion, we can talk about that in a couple of seconds. I'll get your opinion on that. But as a whole, with the team the Bills have, especially now with who they have added on defense when they bring in Von Miller, I don't think Von Miller is really still Von Miller from the past, but he's still there. He's still Von Miller, still pretty decent. So I think that this defense with the offense that they have, if they go under 11 and a half wins, Buffalo might burn to the ground. If they don't make it to the AFC championship, Buffalo probably burns it to the ground. I think that only happens with the Josh Allen injury and you get Case Keenum out there. So me and you are both bullish on the team. I think win total 11 and a half overs the only play here. Schedule is going to be tougher. They're playing a first place schedule. So again, AFC North, NFC North, but then you get the Chiefs, Rams, and Titans. I think among first place schedules, you know, that's not so bad. I would rather face the Titans than the Colts at this point. The Chiefs, they would lost our boy Tyreek Hill. So maybe a little bit weaker Chiefs team than we've seen in the past. So I think winnable games all across the board. Going to go the over there. In terms of fantasy, it's a team you obviously want to invest in if you get the chance. Josh Allen going extremely high, 28.5. He's been the QB1 the last two years. 
largely based off his legs, but it's a run, excuse me, it's a pass heavy offense. They're not running the ball a ton. So Josh Allen, he's a player with an immense ceiling and I think worthwhile pick there. Stefan Diggs is going at pick 9.0. I think you just take him when it makes sense. You're not reaching. You're going to grab him when he falls and maybe get towards the field or a little bit over if you want to take a strong stance there. I'm with you on Davis. He was a player I wasn't drafting at all before the NFL draft because his ceiling was already priced in. And there was a chance they took a wide receiver. Ultimately, that didn't end up happening. So now I think his ADP is a little more comfortable. He's a player I end up, I probably am going to end up being slightly below the field on just because there's a lot of alternatives in that range. And the player I want more of is Crowder coming off the board at pick 137 and a half. Josh Allen has targeted the slot a lot in his career, whether it's Ben Cole Beasley or even Dawson Knox, who lines up in the slot and out wide quite a bit. Crowder, I think, is a fantastic player that you can get a late attachment to this offense. The question I want to ask you is at the tight end position. Dawson Knox coming off the board at 99.2. He's a player that's never been efficient in his entire career. He's living solely off the efficiency and the high play volume that Josh Allen and the offense provide. OJ Howard is a player that's actually been far more efficient than Dawson Knox in his career, and he was signed to a pretty hefty deal. Now, I don't know if this means Dawson Knox is going to come off the field like 30% of the time. Last year was rarely coming off the field, or if this is going to be more of a 50-50 split, perhaps they use more 12 personnel. But I'm worried enough at least to bump down Knox a little bit in my rankings, and because of that, I haven't gotten him as much this year. What do you make of the tight end position and the other pass catchers as a whole? Yeah, so when it comes to Dawson Knox, Dawson Knox is actually a UFA next year. So maybe they brought in OJ Howard in case, you know, maybe what if Dawson Knox has a crazy season and they don't want to pay Dawson Knox a lot of money, right? In my opinion, that could be it. Maybe that's off. Maybe that's way off target. And maybe you are completely correct, right? And they're going to be taking Dawson Knox off more, bringing OJ Howard in more. But I think that when you draft Dawson Knox, even if he's not on the field as much as last year, you're drafting a piece of the Buffalo Bills offense. And assuming the Buffalo Bills offense is going to be good in the red zone, Dawson Knox is going to be one of the bigger targets. Now, could OJ Howard score three, four touchdowns? Definitely. But will that completely derail, deflate what Dawson Knox can do? In my opinion, no. I'm still drafting him inside of where he's going inside the top 100. I don't have him ranked inside the top five. With OJ Howard, I think his path to top five is a little bit more difficult. But again, when you got a guy on the Bills, who saw as much red zone work as last year in the playoffs, they were relying on him in the regular season. I mean, Josh Allen never used a tight end until last year, at least in my opinion, I didn't really see a clear tight end number one there until last season with Dawson Knox. So I think as long as Dawson Knox is getting the correct playing time, he should still flourish. I understand why you're a little bit nervous though. OJ Howard is not a scrub in, in any means. Oh, and you're right about the tight end split. This was the first year they actually used like a, a full number one tight end. Previously, I mean, like you look at some of the players Dawson Knox would be splitting with. It's like Tyler Croft, Lee Smith. These guys were getting actually decent snap shares for the Buffalo Bills. So OJ Howard coming in, I think that at least raises some concern. I'm not actually sure what I'm going to do with Knox. Yet. I plan on being a little under the field, but we will see. I think the last position we really need to hone in on here is the running back because you're getting a cheap player no matter who you take. Devin Singletary, ADP, just inside of 105. James Cook at 106 and a half. So these guys generally are available at the same time. And if you have a preference, you can take one or the other. It's hard to get them both just with their ADPs unless you reach on one, which I don't really feel inclined to do. But for me, I'll tell you personally, and then want to get your opinion. I would rather have James Cook. Devin Singletary has been a player they've tried to use in timeshares multiple times with Zach Moss. And I mean, there's been just 
an array of players that have situationally popped up for the Buffalo Bills, Matt Breida included. James Cook is a player they drafted highly. He's a smaller player. He's around 200 pounds, comes out of Georgia. Solid pass catcher, which is very important to this offense. Like Singletary, he doesn't have ideal size. So I view this as a committee one way or another. But if I'm going to plant my flag on one of them being the 1A, for me, it's James Cook. And again, outside the top 100, I think more than worth a pick there. What do you make of the tandem of backs? Yeah, I think that if I'm doing a bunch of drafts, I'm taking probably 50-50 split. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I don't think that I want to be overweight to either of them. Right now, if I was to check my exposure, I probably am slightly overweight to Devin Singletary compared to him because I do believe that what we saw towards the end of the season, if that's what Devin Singletary is at the start of next year, then he could definitely hold the job, right? Towards the end of the season, in week 15 against Carolina, he's running back seven. Week 16 against New England, running back 10. Week 17 against Atlanta, he's running back five. Week 18 against the Jets, he's running back number three. And in the playoffs, he was really good as well. He was running back two in the playoffs in week 19, which isn't as impressive, right? He scored 24.4 points, but he is still a guy that got a lot of uses last year. And to me, or at least towards the end of the season, and is clearly better than Zach Moss was. The question is, is he actually better than James Cook? Who knows? But I think that... I would be drafting both of them a lot because I want to get pieces of the Buffalo Bills offense. I would slightly lean, though, towards Devin Singletary based upon what I saw last season. But James Cook is by far and away the better receiving back. Devin Singletary basically has stone hands. <laughs> we are we are in agreement there. I am going to be going with James Cook a little more than Singletary. And I think win total for me, it's going to be over. It's a little bit steep, but I think that's the only play here. Any last words on the Bills? Yeah, I'm definitely leaning the over as well. And man, I would be, if I'm a Bills fan, if they don't make it to the AFC Championship, if they don't make it to the Super Bowl this year, you just have to be mad, right? They've been so close so many years in a row. Must be hard, you know, except for their, actually being the a Dolphins fans way worse. We can't even make the playoffs. I'm a Bears fan, so <sighs> won't say anything there. But that'll do it for us today. <laughs> Let us know in the comment section what you guys think of these teams. Who's too high? Who's too low? Who you think is going to win the division? He's Nick Lepper. You can follow him on Twitter at Notorious Fantasy. I am Matt Kajeski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Kajeski. Stick around for the rest of the week. Checking out these division previews. We'll be with you all throughout the summer. Have a good day, guys. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.